Hi, everybody. Well, here we are again recording another teaching for Foundation Church Belfast. My name is David. I'm the pastor. Uh, we're into another lockdown here in Belfast. And as disappointing as that is for many of us, we believe that God is still moving. His kingdom is still coming. And uh, that is going to be really the subject of our teaching today. Um, if you've been with us over the last few weeks at Foundation, you'll know that we're going through a series in the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. And today we're coming to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through to 12. I'm going to read those to you, and then we're going to think about them together over the next few videos. This is Mark 2, starting at verse 1. This is God's word. And when he, that is Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let him down on the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. We've been looking together over the last few weeks um, at the... Uh, the message that Jesus came to earth to preach, which was that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it, it's nearby. It, it is coming in the shape of me. I am bringing the kingdom of God. I'm opening it up through my words, through my actions. Um, and as we've been seeing over the last uh, week or so, Jesus comes, he calls his disciples, he preaches, he heals many people. He's saying, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And he's explaining it through his teaching. And we see this come again today in a slightly different form as he uh, heals this man who's a paralytic, couldn't walk. And here's the point. Here is the, the big idea for this particular message that we're going to look at today. Jesus has authority over sin and sickness. He has authority over sin and sickness. And if you understand his authority, if you start to see it, um, uh, you know, his authority to forgive, to heal, then it'll do three things in you. Number one, it'll drive you. Uh, number two, it will transform you. And number three, it will unsettle you. If you understand what Jesus has authority over sin and sickness, it'll do those three things. First of all, it will drive you. Um, we've seen in the first few verses of this passage uh, that Jesus is at his hometown or like his, um, his adopted hometown uh, called Capernaum, which is on the north coast of the Sea of Galilee, which is actually itself in the northern aspects of Palestine, as it was known in those days, the Holy Lands. Some people describe it as today. And he was at home. We don't know. We don't think Jesus owned a property himself. He may have done. Uh, most likely he was with um, Peter, one of the disciples, 
We saw last week that he was staying in Peter's house. That's where he healed Peter's mother-in-law. So most likely it's the same place. And, and as we've been seeing, when Jesus uh, starts to, to teach the crowds, gather. He teaches, as they say, as, as someone who has authority. And so we have here again, Jesus uh, speaking, uh, teaching them about the good news of the kingdom of God. And it says the house was packed, full. People up the stairs, people in the living room, people sitting on the, on the toilet, people in the kitchen, packed around just so they might catch some of the words of Jesus, his, his teaching was so astonishing, it was so impacting, and we saw that last week. You know, Jesus has just uh, gone, gone on pretty exhausting sort of teaching mission, teaching the kingdom of God, healing the sick. He's come home, he probably wants to chill out. Maybe he wants some downtime, some R&R, &R, you know, just some rest, maybe a few days just to gather his energies again before going off to other parts, and yet no. Um, here we see the crowds gathering in. Everybody's hanging on his words. And it says that he was preaching the word to them any time of the day or night. If those people want to listen, Jesus is willing to teach them and show them the kingdom of God. And that's what he was doing in the house this day that we come to Mark chapter 2. Um, and so it tells us that uh, four men carried, four guys carried a man who was a paralytic. Uh, we don't, don't have any more description about him or them than that. Uh, this man was a paralytic, couldn't walk, and he was carried by four men, and um, evidently they wanted to bring him to Jesus. That was their mission there and then. Get this guy to Jesus. We have heard things about Jesus. Uh, we know he can forgive. We know he can heal. Let's get this man to Jesus. Probably they were good friends. They obviously, maybe they're even family members. We don't know. Uh, but clearly, um, they cared for the guy who couldn't walk and who had to be carried everywhere. So there they are. Let's get into Jesus. Let's get into touching distance with Jesus. But as they arrived, they saw the queues outside. Um, they saw the house was absolutely filled. The windows were wide open. There were people sitting in the, um, in the windowsills. They thought to themselves, we have no chance here of getting this guy to Jesus. He needs Jesus, we know that, but we can't get him to Jesus, not with a house like that. And so, so this showed great determination um, to sort of override the situation that confronted them. And so it says that they went up to the roof. Um, in those days, uh, in that part of the world, the roofs would have been flat and sort of like an outside space for cooking and for maybe even um, you know, drying flax or other sort of wheat or that kind of thing. On the, A lot of household chores were done up there. Uh, maybe peace, get away for, for some prayer time, whatever. But there are, there are flat roofs. And uh, it says that uh, these, these four guys went up uh, with the paralytic onto the flat roof. Uh, and what, what they did was um, pretty audacious. Uh, they thought to themselves, we will do whatever it takes to get this guy to Jesus. And so it says that they removed part of the roof. That was fairly easy done in those days because um, uh, the roof itself wouldn't have added a lot of rain over it. Um, certainly, it would, as I say, it was a flat roof, um, sort of large beams with smaller bits of wood in between and covered with a, um, a sort of um, a pitch uh, or tar uh, sort of construction. So it'd be fairly easy um, to, to um, peel away and get to the action below. And that's what they did. Uh, so just imagine it for a moment, you know, uh, this, this, this hole appearing uh, above the living room where Jesus was sat teaching. Um, you know, bits of bits of dust and rubble maybe start falling down, some twigs, some old um, old tar, whatever it happened to be. And then this man appeared, 
most, most likely on ropes. We don't know how exactly they got him down, but probably just lowered him down on some ropes. You've got to hand it to these four friends. They were so determined to get this man to Jesus. To do, they did whatever it took to get him to Jesus. Um, no crowd was going to get in their way. No roof was going to get in their way. The fact that the man couldn't walk, that wasn't going to stop them. They would do whatever it takes. They were determined. Not only were they determined, they were creative. Um, they, were, they were happy to think outside uh, the box, so to speak. Think laterally uh, with ingenuity. How can we get this guy to Jesus? We'll do whatever it takes. They were creative um, and they were sacrificial as well. Um, they were causing damage to property. Most likely they were prepared to pay for that in order to get this guy to Jesus. They were, they were risking trouble, perhaps with the owner of the house, Peter or Peter's mother-in-law, whoever it was. They, they risked being sent away, their plan not working, but they, 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 they did it anyway. They bore the cost. They were willing to go through that in order to get him to Jesus because they understood that Jesus has authority over sin and over sickness. And as we listen to this today, especially for those of us who are uh, members of the community at Foundation Church Belfast, um, when we understand that Jesus has authority over sickness and sin, are we driven in the same way as these four friends? Are we driven in the same way to get our friends to Jesus? Those who need Jesus, those who don't have Jesus, are we driven in the same way? And we can look at those three sort of attributes that the friends showed and ask, do they apply to us? Are we determined to do whatever it takes to get our friends and family who don't know Jesus to Jesus? There's much in our lives, of course, that will get in the way of that if we allow it. The busyness of our schedules, um, perhaps even the crowds, uh, either the crowd of popular opinion or the crowds... Um, you know, just, just, just of our social networks and our, our circumstances pulling us away, getting in the way. Um, are we as determined as these four friends to bring our own friends and family to hear Jesus, to know Jesus? Are we, are we creative, perhaps, secondly, in how we go about it? Have you ever thought to yourself creatively, how can I bring these people, these, un, you know, uh, these people who don't know Jesus, that I know, I want them to know Jesus, how can, I, how can I go about bringing them to him? Have you ever sat and thought about that and reflected? How can I do that creatively? Have you ever thought outside the box about how you might, um, how you might do that? Um, maybe you need to ask yourself and, uh, and think for a few moments about the kind of tools that God has given you. Uh, we're all wired up differently, right? With different temperaments, different giftings, different opportunities. Maybe you have a way to bring your friends and family to meet Jesus in a way that others don't have and, and vice versa. Um, all of us within the community of Foundation Church have, have giftings and have uh, ways that we are wired up to bring people to Jesus that perhaps others in our community don't have. And we'll think about that in a few moments. But maybe um, you, know, you have unique opportunities uh, to bring people to Jesus. What about sacrificial? Are you sacrificial in your willingness to bring people to Jesus? I'm not talking about damaging property like we saw here. I'm not talking about graffitiing Bible verses um, all across your road so that people can hear uh, the good news of Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. 
But it's important to emphasize that getting people to Jesus will cost you. Um, it will certainly cost you in some ways financially if you're really committed to bringing people to Jesus. Um, in terms of the connections that you're going to make socially, uh, in terms of your commitment to hospitality, you know, when, when permitted, bringing people to your house, uh, loving them, serving them, giving them uh, food and, and, and creating a warm, uh, welcoming home uh, so that you may bring them to Jesus. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you um, because it will take you time to invest in the lives of other people. And perhaps there's another element of sacrifice. It might cost you your comfort going outside of your ordinary routine and rhythm in life and, and, and serving other people so that you might bring them to Jesus. It might cost you your reputation. Perhaps you've been quiet about Jesus at work or in your social circles because you don't, you don't want people to speak ill of you because you're a Christian, you're a believer. It might cost you some of your reputation. It might even cost you the risk of someone being offended at you when you try to talk to them about Jesus. But all of this in mind, it is, it is worth it. Because look at what happened to the man who was the paralytic. Maybe, maybe you don't have these values, you don't, these things don't drive you when it comes to bringing friends and family to Jesus. Perhaps you have the opposite sort of view, if you like, the opposite um, results. Uh, perhaps you have not shown an attitude like the four friends here when it comes to those who don't know Jesus. Maybe you've missed opportunities on purpose with your friends and family or strangers that you meet in the street. Perhaps you have not invited friends or family to church when you could have done. Maybe even it's a deeper thing than that for you. Maybe you, you just simply lack the, the desire and, and the drive to get people to Jesus. Church is something that you do on a Sunday. It's kind of fun. It's a nice little social thing, but it doesn't really impact your relationships through the week. Maybe that's where you stand right now. But if that's the question, and if we are sort of quiet about our relationship with Jesus, then we have to ask ourselves, have we really understood him? Uh, do we really see Jesus as one who has authority over sin, over sickness, over evil, over chaos? Because when we see him like that, we will be determined, creative, sacrificial in what we are willing to do to get people to Jesus. One of the key ways that we do this at Foundation Church um, is, is with our sort of invitational approach to our gatherings. Uh, we say at Foundation Church we are a community on mission, um, which means we are a group of people together on mission uh, to show and tell Jesus and the kingdom of God together. We do that together as those who are sort of transformed by that same message. We do that together. And, and, and one of the chief ways we flesh this out um, in this current season, at least, um, is with our Sunday gatherings. Um, Jesus promises to be especially present with his people when they are gathered together. And so that we, we, we see this chiefly as we gather together as a church on Sunday to worship him, to, to, to listen to God's word, to respond to God's spirit as he's working among us. And of course, we, we, we labor to make 
Sunday morning gatherings accessible to anyone outside. We explain everything that's happening so that those who are unfamiliar uh, with church um, can understand, even if they've got no prior knowledge. Uh, we work hard to be friendly and a welcoming church. And so when you understand who Jesus is, it will drive you to share the good news with others. Well, the second thing that will happen to you when you understand that Jesus has authority over sin and sickness, number two, is that it will transform you, just like it did to the paralytic man on this day. Um, there was a bit of a shock in the story, a bit of a sting in the tail. Um, he came for healing. Uh, but what he got in addition to that, furthermore, was forgiveness of his sin. He got healing all right. That's exactly what happened. It was, it was complete. It was immediate healing. Jesus simply commanded, stand up, be well. And it says he rose immediately. Um, and he went out before them all. Everybody saw that this man who was formerly paralyzed and couldn't walk, stood up instantly, took his mat and walked out. It was astonishing. You know, despite all of our modern technology, all of our sophisticated surgical techniques, uh, modern medicine seeks to restore form and function in the human body. But, but even if the most sophisticated surgery could be done on somebody, let's say, who is paralyzed and couldn't use their legs, they would require, even if that surgery was not only possible but successful, for someone who'd been paralyzed, let's say, from birth, um, they would require weeks of rehabilitation, physiotherapy, occupational therapy, various forms of rehabilitation. Their muscles would need to strengthen, uh, their nerves would need to, to grow and, 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 and heal, the, even the brain would need to be remodeled in order to help that person to learn to walk. Um, the bone itself, would need to be hardened and strengthened. We, took, we would be talking months and months and months, if not years, of intense rehabilitation to bring someone from paralysis to an, a decent level of function. But not for this guy. He'd been paralyzed for goodness knows how long, and yet he was restored instantly to the extent where muscles, bone, brain, Nerves suddenly retained healing, strength, restoration. He was able to bend down and pick up his mat and walk out. Walk out. Where did he learn to walk? That is the strength of Jesus' authority over sickness. Not just removing the source of the problem, but restoring to complete fullness of function in an instant with a word. That is the authority that he has. But this man got a lot more than just that, as wonderful and awesome as that is. In fact, the, the order that Mark presents all of this is important. Don't forget, it says that Jesus uh, in his teacher was teaching the word. He was teaching the word of the kingdom. He was talking about the coming kingdom of God and that it was coming in him. He was the God's chosen Messiah. He was the son come to bring the kingdom. That's what Jesus was teaching. And it was clear when this man was lowered down in front of Jesus that he had a physical problem. He couldn't walk, hence the need to be lowered down. Everybody could see it. 
And most people probably who'd heard of Jesus and what he'd been up to, it says that um, you know, his fame spread all around the region of Galilee, they would have known that Jesus could and might even want to heal this man at that moment. That's probably what everybody was expecting. But Jesus knew that this man, this paralytic man, had a much bigger problem than the fact that his legs didn't work. Yes, physical impairment, and yes, in those days, a huge amount of, of, of social disability, inability to earn money for himself, all of that. But Jesus knew that there was something even deeper, something more fundamental, worse than this man's physical disability. I mean, we could say uh, that Jesus knew that he had a paralysis uh, that was hidden. Um, a paralysis that was that was invisible, that was buried even deeper, a form of spiritual paralysis, which he goes on to call sin. Um, his physical paralysis was one thing, but his sin before God was quite another issue, so to speak. Jesus, of course, restored the man's physical body, but at best, that was only relatively temporary uh, but Jesus here dealt with his spiritual disability as well as his physical disability for us it's the same it's the same thing we all of us have a fundamental problem with this thing called sin um, in other words this spiritual paralysis that renders us utterly helpless before God. Um, sin has been understood and described in, in different ways as, uh, in the Bible as you read through and try and understand what it is, but it is, it is understood as a veering away from that thing that God has, has called us to do, has, has, has said this is what you must do, this is how you must be, and, and, and sin is a sort of missing of the mark, it's a veering away. And no matter what surface problems each of us have, whether they are physical or mental or social or financial or whatever realm it happens to be, our spiritual paralysis, according to Jesus, is our ultimate issue. Whether we're healthy or sick, able or disabled, everyone needs to have their sins forgiven before God. And that is is what Jesus uh, came for. He, he came to bring the kingdom of God. Because of our sin, we are far away from the kingdom of God. And yet God, because he loved his people and he decided that he would not let sin have the final say, he came down. The, the son came down. God came to us and he came to bring the kingdom to us. We could never get up off of our mat and go to God, God came down to us and he did that in the person of Jesus, the Son. He came to bring access to that kingdom, not only talk about it and show what it looked like, but he came to ultimately bring access to it, to open the door. And as Mark shows us later on, he did that through his death on a cross and his resurrection on the third day. That's how we access the kingdom, right? And in that kingdom, when it comes, it brings healing. It brings restoration. 
and we can have that now and real and really and substantially we can experience the kingdom of God now and yet it is not completed we won't see the fullness of it until that final day when Jesus comes again to bring the completion of the kingdom when heaven and earth um, come together heaven comes to earth and uh, the new heavens and the new earth are set up that's what the future vision of the Bible has for us it'll transform you once you understand that Jesus has authority over sin and sickness. But before we move on to our, our third and final point, maybe as, as we're reading through this and, and, and you're thinking about the kingdom of God and, and the implications of that restoration of the kingdom of God coming now, you might ask yourself, rightly so, is that kind of healing that we see here, is that kind of healing available today? Is it available to us today? To me? Maybe my loved ones who are sick physically. Is that kind of healing available today? Or in other words, if I have faith in Jesus, can he heal me in this way today? Well, the Bible has a lot to say um, on this interplay between faith and sin and suffering and healing and restoration in the kingdom of God. And the relationship between faith and healing is, is, a, is a complex relationship, but there is a connection nonetheless. So what I want to show you uh, over, over, over the next minute, couple of minutes, um, is how, broadly speaking, in the New Testament of the Bible, how faith and healing can be related to one another. And I don't want to confuse you here, but I want to, want to show you that it's not necessarily a one-to-one relationship. If you have faith, then you'll be healed. If you don't have faith, you won't be healed. Um, let, me, let, me, let me explain a little bit about what I mean. Hopefully this will bring you some, some clarity. Uh, four, four alternatives, four possibilities here. Uh, number one, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, show that there is a connection, there is a connection between faith and healing. There is a connection. Right? We see it all through the Gospel of Mark, and we will see this as we progress through in our study through this particular book. But the other three Gospels as well, uh, Matthew, Luke, and John. Right? There is a connection between faith and healing. For example, in, in, in Mark 5, uh, Jesus speaks to a woman who's had a chronic uh, blood loss. And he said to her, uh, when she sort of re- came to him, uh, he said to her, your faith has made you well. All right? Your faith has made you well. Well, likewise, he said to a blind man in Mark chapter 10, go your way, your faith has made you well. And it says immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Not to mention uh, the centurion's servant, the the Syrophoenician woman, and others in other gospel accounts. Faith connects with healing. First point of view. Number two, there are occasions... When people of no faith are healed. So, um, for example, Luke chapter 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers, people afflicted with the skin disease, referred to as leprosy. Um, <clears throat> all 10 were healed. But it says only one of them, on the way away from Jesus, turned round and gave thanks to Jesus. And Jesus said to that one out of ten, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. The other nine were healed as well, but only that one expressed faith in Jesus. 
Likewise, as we see over the gospel accounts, crowds of people were healed. Many, many people were healed. But not all of them, as we see, possessed faith in Jesus. Maybe they saw him as a, as a healing teacher, but they didn't trust him as the Messiah, as God's son. So there are occasions when people of no faith are healed. Um, flip side, number three, there are occasions when people of great faith are not healed. Uh, the classic example um, comes from the Apostle Paul, the, the foremost Christian preacher, uh, apostle of the New Testament. And uh, famously, he describes himself as having what he calls a thorn in the flesh. He doesn't elaborate what that is. Most likely it's some physical symptom or other, um, providing him with distracting pain. It was a chronic condition um, because he says in, in his letter to the church in Corinth, 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 12, he says he pleaded with God three times to remove this thorn in the flesh. But God said to demonstrate my power in your weakness, no. Paul, the man of prayer, the man who knew God, one of the greatest theologians and preachers in, that, if, in the history of the church, let's face it, asked for healing and didn't receive it. Fourth and final option. There are occasions when there is neither faith nor healing. Um, so the example there is that Jesus went into his hometown. We see this in Mark chapter 6, his hometown of Nazareth, where he sort of spent his former years. Um, and he went in there and, and his own people rejected him. They, they didn't want to know him. They, they, they sort of uh, mocked him at his claims to be who he said he was. Um, and it says in Mark 6 verse 5 that Jesus could do no mighty works in his own town. And yet he marveled because of their unbelief. So you see, no faith led to no healing. So there's four options, four ways that faith and healing are connected. It's a complicated thing and we can't hope to, to, to even start addressing it properly in, in these few comments here. But suffice to say, faith and healing are absolutely connected together. Uh, but it's not a linear connection. Um, so in summary, what can we say? Well, the Bible says, yes, it says have faith, uh, have faith for healing. Have faith for healing. Have faith that the kingdom of God that is coming will be pressed out now in your situation or in the situation of your loved ones. We might see that healing and that restoration and the coming kingdom of God now. Yes, pray for that. The Bible teaches us. Um, pray and believe. Have hope. Have trust. And it might take months or years of praying and asking God before we see deliverance or victory in a certain area of our lives. But, and here's the but that we have to bear in mind, um, we will not experience, none of us will experience the fullness of the kingdom of God until Jesus comes again. So what Jesus is showing here in the Gospels, what he's teaching in his, uh, in his message, what the church demonstrates is just a foretaste of that complete work. When when the new heavens and the new earth are brought to bear, when Jesus comes again in total victory, 
crushing all of his enemies. The kingdom of God is fleshed out completely as the waters covers the sea. So will the glory of God cover the world. That moment, all will be healed. All will be restored. All will be complete before God. And before then, we see the kingdom of God breaking in, in various times and in various ways. Sometimes through the ordinary, sometimes through the extraordinary. Healings, miracles, praise God, hoping for that. But until Jesus comes, we will not see the fullness. So if you understand though, however, that Jesus has authority over sin and sickness, it will transform you. Well, the third and final reaction that you and I can have to the authority of Jesus over sin and sickness is that it will unsettle us. Uh, there's a group of religious scholars who were there that night in the house listening to this new teaching from Jesus. Uh, the Bible calls them scribes. They were experts in the religious law of Israel, what we would commonly refer now to as the Old Testament. And they were there listening, uh, examining, wondering what this new teaching that they'd heard about was all about. And they heard Jesus claiming to be able to forgive this man's sin. He demonstrated that he could do it through this exercise of power. Jesus said to them, what is easiest? Is it easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say, rise, take up your mat and walk? Of course, on one level, anyone can say your sins are forgiven. But who can actually stand in the place of God and say your sins are forgiven, except God himself? And yet who of us can say to a person who's crippled on the ground, rise up, take up your mat and walk? So Jesus demonstrated the former by demonstrating the latter. He demonstrated that he could forgive sins by rising, raising this man up from his paralysis. And of course, once you understand that Jesus has authority over sin and sickness, that's wonderful. But not everyone welcomes this good news. It unsettles them. Uh, the scribes, as we see here in these verses, have a problem with Jesus' claim. And they're right on one level. They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're right, no one can forgive sins but God alone. They got that right. And they heard that Jesus, in a veiled sense, was claiming to have divine status, divine authority to forgive sins. And the scribe said, this is blasphemy. No one can do this. Jesus made them very uncomfortable, very unsettled. Eventually, as we see as the Gospel of Mark goes on, the scribes were driven to drastic measures to even orchestrate the unjust trial and death of Jesus. So much that he unsettled them. And even today, in our contemporary context, the message and the power of Jesus unsettles many people. It confronts them. It shakes them. And they don't like it. Um, two types of people, really, will respond to Jesus in today's situation. Firstly, religious people. Uh, religious people are unsettled by the claims of Jesus to who he is 
because Jesus doesn't fit their mould, their expectations of what he should be doing. To religious people, they, they want Jesus to behave in a certain way. They want him not to challenge their religion, their way of life, the rules that they live by. They want Jesus instead to bless their religious behaviour, to affirm it. But the, the problem with religion and those who practice religion um, is that it convinces the practitioner that they are in the right. It con convinces the practitioner of religion that their version of truth is the correct one, that they are saved because they believe the right things about God and they behave in the right way towards God. Now, listen, right belief and right living are essential to following Jesus. I'm not denying that. But, and this is the but, but if that is the basis of your acceptance before God, if essentially you're saying God loves me because I believe the right things about him and I behave the right way towards him, if that's you, then you are seriously wrong about Jesus. And so when he comes to say, only I can save you, not you, not your religion, not your frameworks, not your behaviours, me and me alone, that is deeply unsettling to religious people. And if you're listening to this, you, you this is speaking generally, you will be susceptible to this way of thinking about Jesus if you were brought up in a Christian environment or if you have a, a long history of being in the church in some way or other, you will be susceptible to responding to Jesus like this. Uh, but the second group of people uh, will also respond, um, will, you know, will be un unsettled by Jesus's claims. And they are the non-religious people. We might call them secular people, those who don't follow any particular religion at all. Um, they also, in hearing and understanding the claims of Jesus, may be greatly unsettled by what he's actually saying. Because when you start to read and you start to take these claims as they are described to us in the Gospels, you will realise that Jesus is uncompromising. He is black and white on many issues. And so non-religious people cannot dismiss Jesus as a moral teacher. Um, one of many moral teachers that we have in our history books. He's not that. He can't be that because Jesus here claims to forgive sins. That means implicitly, therefore, according to Jesus, sin exists. God is angry with sin and we are in trouble with God aside from Jesus. That's what Jesus is teaching. That's what he is. They're the claims that he makes. And so today, uh, we notice in our, in our society, in the West especially, um, that we will either try and redefine sin so that what we're doing is no longer classed, we think, no longer classed as sinful, so therefore we we do that thing and behave like that, what have you. We either redefine sin or we reject the concept of sin completely. We, we say God is love. 
He loves everybody, therefore God loves me. But Jesus doesn't give us that option. When we look at who he is, as he's presented to us here in the primary um, texts, and what he said to us, we don't have that option of just saying he's a moral teacher. Therefore, the question is, does Jesus have the authority to speak to your life? Authority over your life. C.S. Lewis sums it up um, very famously in this uh, portion of his book called Mere Christianity. Allow me to read it to you. Um, he writes, look, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, uh, which is this. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, says Lewis. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, says Lewis, or else a madman or something worse. You must make your choice. You cannot shut him up for being a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You know, the gospel says that you are worse than you know but you are more loved than you will ever realize you see the gospel will simultaneously humble us and it will lift us up to the mountaintops and so as lewis puts it and with this we close either we come to jesus and we accept him at his word and we fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, as Lewis put it. And we say to him, command me, I live for you. We either respond like that, or we must respond by utterly rejecting him and everything that he stood for. But the good news is that if you tr turn to Jesus and trust him, place your faith in Jesus and live for him, then he says to you, Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Come and enter my kingdom. I will heal. I will restore. It is yours through faith in me.